Welcome and thank you for listening to Second Chance Cinema with MC and Spro, a podcast that takes a second look at films from the past that went under the radar for whatever silly reason. Before we begin our show, just a warning that our hosts do not censor their speech and have the habit of spoiling the movie's endings. So, if you wish to watch along with us, perhaps pause this episode and tune in later. As always, we appreciate all of our listeners and look forward to debating the greatness of this uncovered gem. Enjoy the show. You did it, guys. You stopped them. I'm real proud of you. Cold, there's still four seconds left. We can beat these guys. Yeah! yeah! What kind of play you got for this situation? How about the annexation of Puerto Rico? So with four seconds left, the Giants trot back onto the field for what figures to be the final play of the game. Ready? When one considers the moniker, the greatest game ever played, of course, after skipping over the 2005 American biographical sports film starring Shia LaBeouf and directed by Bill Paxton, which was about golf and caddies or something. It was not Caddyshack, but it was a movie about golf. When one skips over that greatest game ever played, one lands on actual contests such as the 1958 NFL Championship between the New York Giants and the Baltimore Colts. The... 2007 Super Bowl, Super Bowl 42, in which the New York Giants destroyed the New England Patriots' undefeated season with the miraculous helmet catch from David Tyree. And then, of course, the stickler, the knife in our hearts, the 1986 AFC Championship game during which the drive sent Cleveland packing and uh, dashed our hopes yet again for another Super Bowl championship. I shouldn't say another because we don't have one. I digress. The greatest game ever played was none of these. The greatest game ever played was in the summer of 1994, and it pitted the Pee Wee Dallas Cowboys against the Pee Wee Little Giants. And that's what we're here to talk about today. I'm joined, as always, by my handsome and patient co-host Spro. Spro, how are you? <laughs> I don't think I'm a patient individual, but I appreciate the gesture. I'm good. How are you? I think I mean you're you're among you're among the kindest, most patient, most warm-hearted, hearted individuals <laughs> I know. So, yeah, I'm going to go with that. Doing all right. We're also joined by another co-host with the most who really we wouldn't be here discussing this movie without and we'll get into that a little bit later, but you might know him as the host of the Vintage Baseball podcast as well as longtime and celebrated guest co-host on this show uh rudy rudy how are you what is up my friends i am so excited to be here did you just boot up windows 95 in the background there what <laughs> yeah, was that 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 was uh hang on uh, i'm i still use the aol discs i need to like <laughs> sorry y'all do you have to put in the second vhs to watch the rest of titanic is that what's going on yeah that's it <laughs> nice so rudy the reason we're here is because of you it it's without spoiling too much let's just say that the three of us along with Jeremy, who has been another revered guest on Second Chance Cinema, are working on a collective podcast. And without spoiling too much of the premise, it's basically a debate and a discussion and then eventually a declaration of some of the greatest things in different categories that we've decided to open up a discourse about. And recently, while recording, the figure, Becky the Icebox O'Shea, came up. 
in what can only be described as a haymaker punch that sent the podcast reeling, her nomination, if you will, was brought up by none other than Rudy. So Rudy, I know that I have a soft spot for this movie, but clearly you have it in the forefront of your mind much more. Tell us why we're talking about Little Giants. Well, I honestly believe that 1994 was one of the greatest years for movies in the history of mankind. And in 1994, I'm playing Little League football and a movie comes out about Little League football. And it's the classic underdog story. And I remember I never got to see this movie in the theaters, but it was one of the movies that you ran to Blockbuster. You ran to the video rental store to get the copy because there wasn't any available for the longest time. And even my schools, my school would show this on like the the day before a break. It was, we're going to watch Little Giants. And everybody loved this movie. You mentioned 1994 as sort of a banner year for movies, films, and cinema. I'm looking at the top grossing films, The Lion King, Forrest Gump, True Lies, The Mask, Speed, Little Giants, not up on that list (laughs) but also that year we had pulp fiction cabin boy house party three disney's blank check blue chips and dare i submit street fighter for the list of phenomenal movies that came out this year damn Um, and little giants like you said was it, it wasn't a movie that you saw in the theater it was not a movie that i saw in the theater spro did you see it in the theater i saw it two days ago <laughs> that oh, was my first time for the first it. time really yeah oh. i thought i saw this movie but i guess i just uh saw the trailer well holy um, shit so that said it's a movie that flew under the radar i was under the impression that this movie was much more revered than it seems to be like i felt like this you know not on the level of like a rudy not rudy the co-host but rudy the fighting irish and then later toy soldier or earlier toy soldier which one came first was he toy soldiers first or was he rudy first i think toy soldiers rudy <laughs> well okay. all right well you guys just cancel each other out so we'll leave that to the listeners but i would argue not one of the greatest sports movies ever made, but definitely among the most endearing exactly for the reasons that Rudy just said, the classic underdog story, some great performances by Ed O'Neill and Rick Moranis. I feel like, and maybe this is biased because we're from Ohio and the movie's set in Ohio, but there was something about like the small town feeling of that movie that I don't know has been captured as warmly, I suppose, in, in many other movies. Where is Urbania, Ohio? I've heard of it. It's a real place. Is it no, real? No. It, it, well, Urbania is, I would assume, loosely based on Urbana, which is west of Columbus and north of Springfield, Date. It, it was a small town USA where, you know, the, the whole town supports these teams. Like, one team, one town. You know what it was? It was like all the movies about Texas football, but without the sadism and the fanaticism. It was just like good old fashioned, like, you know, we love the small town football team and we're behind them. But at the end of the day, we're not going to disown our kid if he doesn't score the winning touchdown. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Little Giants problematic features weren't as intense as like Friday Night Lights. You're right. Exactly. Exactly. Or even a Varsity Blues. There was no, there was no, there was no showdown between father and son during which son declares that he don't want your life. But I don't want your life. You know, it just wasn't that kind of movie. It was it was high stakes, but it was fun. 
looking at Urbana, Ohio, see if you guys know this name. One of the, I think the most famous resident based on what I can see born there, Clancy Brown. Do you guys recognize that name? No. Clancy Brown seems like a Nancy Drew detective kids book boxcar children type series. You know, you could not be further from the truth. And I respect <laughs> I respect the way that you took Encyclopedia Brown and sort of twisted it with Nancy, it Nancy Drew. Tom Clancy. <laughs> Clancy Brown, actor. You might remember him from the Shawshank Redemption, drill instructor in Starship Troopers. He's a classic that guy. So anyway, so he didn't have to travel far to Mansfield, right? To yeah, Shawshank. No, so maybe that's why. Maybe that's why you got the role. So before we get before we dive too deep down these rabbit holes, let's go ahead and kick things off with our most enduring tradition here on Second Chance Cinema, and that is the Wheel of Poetry. <sighs> Rudy, was that you that sighed just now? I I promise you, I keep. Uh, okay, yeah, I just okay. Rudy has a love hate relationship with the Wheel of Poetry because somehow, even though he's been a guest star on this show several times, he always seems to forget it's a thing. I mean, you <laughs> I know, get, it, I, you, my you, notes you, are so detailed. I'm so focused on my notes Rudy, and points I want to make that I completely forget. Rudy, you could not make a better seventh grade student saying, "Oh, I totally forgot the way that you do." The way the Wheel of Poetry works is. We have five styles of poetry slash verse that will be placed on a Wheel of Fortune type spinner. Those types are haiku, uh, limerick, ABAB poem, toast slash roast, and song parody. What we're going to do is we're going to spin the wheel and we're going to play the trailer for Little Giants. Whatever we land on, whichever type of poetry, that's what we have to write during the span of the trailer. Then we come back, compare notes, and we drop whatever we've got to see who's got the best. You guys ready? No. Absolutely. Rudy, are you, are you, are you, I mean, it, whether you're ready or not, this is happening. Yeah, it's so, happening. Let's just, yeah. Uh, so you might as well jump on board. All right. Oh, damn it. This is, this is the first time we've landed on this one. Oh, since no. we since we introduced the wheel of poetry, oh no, song parody. What <laughs> song <laughs> parody? No, <laughs> I don't even know where. I mean, no, you know what? We have to do it. We have to go for. We owe it to both of our listeners to do this. Well, the trailer is about two and a half minutes long, Rudy. So you got two and a half minutes to come up with a song parody. This is the only one we haven't landed on because we landed on toast slash rose for Dante's Peak. I remember that, and it sucked because yeah. I was hoping for song parody for Dante's Peak because I was going to do it to the tune of Creep by TLC. It was going to be like Dante's Peak. Yeah. <laughs> something, something, whatever. Oh my gosh. But it didn't happen. So, okay. So song parody, this is a first. This is, we're opening up a new level of second chance cinema and we've got two and a half minutes to do it. Oh no. Here we go. Good luck, Rudy. <laughs> when you hear your name called, I want you to go over to Coach Butts and I want you to pick up your jersey. Those jerseys are so cool. For everyone who has waited to be chosen. Lewis. Yeah. But is still waiting. Rivera! For everybody who has dreamed of being somebody. Scanlon! But is still dreaming. Walker! For every person who only wanted that one chance. For the rest of you. But never got it. I'd like to thank you for trying out. Your day has come. Let's kick some butt. Are you ready for me? 
Look, you berserko Barbie doll. You can talk the talk, you walk the walk. Somebody call 911! Warner Brothers and Amblin Entertainment present Where in the hell do you get off trying to put together another team? Guys like you and kids like that, I mean, they can't help it, they're no good. Rick Moranis. Who are you, Vince Lombardi all of a sudden? It's Pee Wee Football. Ed O'Neill. Peanut butter and jelly sandwich? You'll never get anywhere treating your helmet like a lunchbox, son. And a cast of small wonders. Timmy, I'm not sure, but I don't think that goes there. In the story of a gridiron miracle. League rules clearly state, one town, one team. Meet me at half court. It's the 50-yard line, Dad! Now, with a little professional help, they've got exactly two weeks to learn how to pass. What a hunk. Son, if you're gonna cheat, win! Block. Get the fear out of your eyes! Let's go! You got it, mate! And kick butt. Want intimidation? I'll show you intimidation. Little Giants. Do you like football? No. You wanna play football? No. Great, you can be on our team. Heroes come in all sizes. All right, see, that was a wholesome trailer. That was like, you know exactly how the movie's going to end. I don't feel like there's going to be any surprises. Nobody's going to get paralyzed or anything like that. Song parody is, I think now we can all agree, is easily the most difficult spot on the wheel. But here we are. That definitely didn't feel like two and a half minutes of a trailer. No. I was like, oh, it's already done? Well, who wants to go first? I will. So All right. nobody nobody builds up my performance. You're gonna, you're gonna so you're be. gonna you're gonna do the classic uh, grade school thing where like you go first and get it over with, and then I want somebody to outshine me just so people can forget me. All it's right. kind of like how you know, like I don't want I don't want to be remembered as bad. I just don't want to be remembered as at all. Okay. <laughs> all right. No, that's good. That's good. That's a great strategy. I like it. You don't want to mess with Icebox. Cause Icebox will kick your ass And you don't want to mess with Moranis Cause the man is one of the Coach O'Shea's Not bad. That's all I got. Not bad. You would have, dude, you would have gotten to the next round at the shelter. You would have beaten the shit out of Papa Doc. (laughs) I'm done. Forget me now. I'll go next. (laughs) (laughs) My inspiration, my song parody is the 1994 hit, Here Comes the Hot Stepper. (laughs) Eni Kamozi? Hell yeah. So. (laughs) All right. Here comes the icebox, Rudy farts. He's the little giant's fullback, Rudy Farts. Her crush is a 15-year-old quarterback, Rudy Farts. Rick Moranis is America's dad. Holy shit. <laughs> Were you talking about you, Fart? No, 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 Rudy the gas man, right? Rudy, yeah. I forget his name, the gas man. Zold Tech, yeah. yeah, Zold, yeah. <laughs> Mine is to the tune of Ice Ice Baby. Oh, All right, ready? Here we go. Ice, ice, Becky. Ice, ice, Becky. All right, stop, annexate, and listen. Icebox is back in the Pee-wee division. Some team for the kids who didn't make it. Rick Moranis is the coach, and he's got to try to fake it. Will they ever win? Yo, I don't know. Toilet paper, long bombs, junior throws. Leading the team, Becky showing up at halftime. Lighting up the Cowboys from behind the 50-yard line. Kick it. Ice, ice, Becky. 
anybody. Shut Bro, up. My, like, was that good? Jaw is that like was... open. <laughs> Mine too. Oh my god. That was the first wheel of poetry that I've typed. I think that's why, because it's right in front of me, and I'm not having to try to like read my chicken scratch. So, and oh. to be fair, to be fair, I have the actual Ice Ice Baby lyrics set up next to the ones I wrote, so it was sort of a back and forth. But yeah, I'm pretty happy with that. Genius. <laughs> You know, but I don't know if it'll take me to the rap Olympics, but it is what it is. Amazing. So, so we hit on some of the finer points of, of Little Giants, most notably the, would you say she's the lead protagonist, Becky the Icebox O'Shea? Oh yeah, absolutely. There's a lot going on. There's a lot to unpack here. I mean, we've got the brother-brother-sibling rivalry between Rick Moranis's Danny O'Shea. It's the classic family dichotomy where one brother is like the super athletic, super popular, super good looking, and the other one is the brainy, kind of shy, introverted, and that's the Rick Moranis character. The other character, Kevin O'Shea, played, I thought, wonderfully by Ed O'Neill. This was the first time I think I've ever seen Ed O'Neill like outside of Married with Children which I wasn't allowed to watch when I was a kid. And all I knew that was that he was just like a slob. And then seeing him in this show and this movie, it was like, you know, like I bought him as a Heisman Trophy winner. So there's the dynamic between those two. Then there's the dynamic between Becky the Icebox and her father, who is Danny O'Shea. She's super athletic. She's super tomboy. And, you know, she goes out for the Pee Wee football team. She's, of course, the only girl in the town who does. And Kevin O'Shea, the Ed O'Neill's character, coaches the Pee Wee football team and he ultimately cuts her from the team. So that's where we get this sort of Island of Misfit Toys progression where they start their own team from there we we sort of get introduced to all these it's your classic like ensemble sports team and they've all got their picadillos where they're basically rejects from the actual peewee football team but lo and behold they take it to the final championship game to determine which team they play to decide who will represent urbania in the upcoming season and then the shit just goes wild (laughs) (laughs) it was married with children and it was this movie with ed o'neill but there was also wayne's world when he made an appearance right about the people that he killed i feel like you could have (laughs) and that's all i really know that ed o'neill did but most of his characters they kind of overlap because in married with children all he talked about was his like young days playing football Uh now in that he was a high school four four touchdowns in one game for polkai Exactly. This almost seems like it could be, you know, like married Ted Bundy. This could be Ted Bundy Al, as a football Al, Al Bundy. Coach. Al, Al Bundy. Bundy. Al Bundy. <laughs> oh yeah. No. So this could be Al Bundy coaching a football team. Could be. So Spro, you you have seen this movie only one time, and it's been for this podcast. So let's start. Mm-hmm. Let's start with you. Tell us what your initial reactions were. The initial reaction was how feel good of a movie this is, and how much I miss movies like this that almost also kind of blur the line because I've been watching a whole lot of Disney Channel flicks nowadays with the kids that I teach and you know it's the descendants uh, have you heard about the descendants no oh yeah so the, the descendants is a Disney Channel movie where they're the descendants of the evil villains of classic Disney and the good guys of classic Disney so it's like Snow White's kid and it's Ursula's kid and they're all in high school together and they just are these all in the descendants are these all like normally proportioned human yeah children uh, they look like yeah it's like high school 
musical, but with more makeup. Interesting. Interesting. All right, go and, on. So, but I mean, like that's that's the kind of flair that is going on for live action kids these days. It's nothing like what we got back in the '90s with Rookie of the Year and Angels in the Outfield, and or even like Heavyweights. You know, like stay tuned for a future <laughs> episode of Second Chance Cinema with Heavyweights. Without seeing Little Giants, when I sat down to watch it, I knew what I was in for, and I knew I was going to enjoy it based off of just the fact that they were having a or icebox was mowing down kids on her dune buggy and there was like a cinematic score behind it like i was like i was like taken out a little bit because i was like oh my gosh there's an orchestra like they paid somebody to make a score where nowadays it would be like oh you know drake can you do an edited song so we can be hip and and cool for this for this scene so that was like the main thing that like jumped out at me and then second bro rick moranis oh yeah a natural measure like so this came out three years after his wife died and you know he's famously not retired but gave up acting for a little bit so he could raise his kids like he's just like the nicest guy and he seems so well-rounded and so to see him back on the screen and to realize so the cool thing and i was going to save it for the end of the show but he's coming back he has signed on to do a honey i shrunk the kids sequel he's going to come back probably yes. because his daughters are like you know they're probably graduated by now but movie's going to be called shrunk which was announced right before somebody sucker punched him i had two intros in my head for this episode and one of them was the one i did with the greatest game ever played and all the sports stuff the other one was going to talk about 2020 as a whole and all the bullshit that's happened in 2020 the paramount of which was someone sucker punching rick moranis like and i don't mean to downplay covid and all that kind of stuff but but when you heard like when i heard that story like i felt a visceral anger that i've never quite felt before because like what the fuck like of all the people of all the people to sucker punch on this earth rick moranis is in a category of his own that just when i read that story it it broke my heart a little bit and it just showed this like this combination of anger and vengeance like i wanted the boondock saints to find whoever did that and just (laughs) dispatch accordingly ghostbusters and i read the other day that um i didn't realize how much of his character in the first ghostbusters came from his own suggestions like that whole scene at the party where he's talking about being an accountant and like yeah i gave this party as a business expense that's why i invited clients instead of friends how you doing? Why don't you have some of the brie? It's at room temperature. You think it's too warm in here for the brie? Louis, I'm going home. I don't leave yet. And listen, maybe if we start dancing, other people will join in. Okay. Oh, don't move. I just gotta get the door. Ted, Annette! Hey, Hello, glad you could come. How you doing? Give me your Hi. coats. Everybody, this is Ted and Annette Fleming. Ted has a small carpet cleaning business in receivership, and that's drawing a salary from a deferred bonus from two years ago. They got 15000 left on the house at 8%. So they're okay. So, does anybody want to play Parcheesi? Okay, who brought the dog? 
Like that was all his idea and he wrote it and, you know, ad-libbed it when necessary and stuff like that. Like he's one of those people I feel like you, there's not a bad thing, not just that you couldn't say a bad thing about him, that there's not a bad thing to be said about him. I tend to trust people that quit the industry for a little bit to get their like head clear. To me, those are like normal people because Hollywood, of course, is crazy. It's it's a crazy lifestyle. Fame just seems like it's like one of the weirdest things to actually ever go through. And so people like Rick Moranis, I was like, uh, I could do without this for a little bit. I'm going to you kind of go, well, that's like the most level headed thing that you could possibly do. I can't think of a performance that I've seen him in, at least that wasn't like entertaining or wasn't great. This one included. So we get back to this misfit band of and Rudy, this is where this is where I would lean on your expertise, because you seem to know the kids a little bit better than <laughs> I recall them. Run down the roster of some of the some of the great names that we have on on the Little Giants. So you have Becky Icebox O'Shea, you have Junior Floyd, you have Jake the Terminator. Yeah, Jake the Berminator, he, right? The Berminator. Jake Ber- Jake the Berminator Berman. Okay, oh keep going. Oh my gosh, that was hilarious. And then you have Rudy the Gasman Zoltek. <laughs> Aptly <laughs> named because he farts. That's a re- that child probably has some intestinal issues, but the town seems to be like, oh, hey, every he farts. It's what is, it's his thing. So, they celebrate it. They celebrate yeah. it. <laughs> you have Rad Tad Simpson mm-hmm. <laughs> watching that kid run killed me. He was the one who just ran in the circle and said, "Blow the whistle!" <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah. That this is one that we we quote quite a bit. My my brothers and I, Johnny Venero, and we go. It's a pitch to Johnny. You can't pitch to Johnny. Zoltak, come here. You rang. All right, check a little flea flicker on two. Take it. Okay, check a little flea flicker on two. What's that? It's a pitch to Johnny. Pitch to Johnny? You can't pitch to Johnny. I'm Johnny! Zoltek, he's gonna need some running room. Gotcha. Excuse me, guys! Guys, come on! Excuse me. Maybe you can help me. See, I'm trying to remember what I had for lunch. How can we do that? By taking a whiff of this! I'm Johnny. To butt in there. So Johnny was the one. This was a a fucking tear-jerking moment. Johnny's the one whose father is always away on business. They show like a scene or two of him like sitting outside and his dad's got his briefcase and all of his businessman Jones bullshit. And he's like hailing a cab and he's like, I got to go, son. I'll be back in a few days. And Johnny's just sitting there with his football and, you know, he just wants to spend some time with his father. And he sees the cab pull down the street and then the other kids who are assembled for the little giants come up and say hey you know hey kid you want to play some football he joins the team long story short they get to the championship game he's got the ball he's making his way toward the end zone he's terrified and who does he see in the end zone his dad full business regalia briefcase and everything and he says dad dad and he just sprints right toward his dad right through the end zone touchdown into the arms of his father i mean that was some heartwarming shit dude 
I, as a kid, I was like, oh, that's cool. Look at his moves. I was more, I was paying attention more to like his jukes, you know, his, his right, side. Yeah, yeah. But I watched it last night and I was holding my daughter because it's what I do now. And I was like, yeah, it got me. I was like, wow, I'm getting a little misty here. This is a moment. And it, it resonated with me differently as an adult watching it. I completely agree. He's also the one that gets kicked in the nuts, right? <laughs> yes, he does. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't it Johnny finally put on a cup or something like that? And <laughs> he then the put kid... a cup on the outside of his uniform. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then but then the kid finally kicked the winning or the extra <laughs> yeah. point or the field goal or whatever. So, yeah, big redemption arc for the kicker. Oh, sad news. Oh, no. The the actor that Who... Johnny killed himself in 2018. Oh, oh, my gosh. That's terrible. How old was he? 33. Oh, that's on January 1st, New Year's Day, 2018. John Paul Stewart died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound at his home in Portland. Oregon. Oh. Well, thank you all for joining us on this episode of Second Chance Cinema. <laughs> this has been Little Giants. <laughs> this has been Little Giants. Yes. That's uh, too bad. Apparently he was he was on the show Grace Under Fire and his parents pulled him from it because they thought Brett Butler, who was the star of the show, was acting too sexual toward their 12-year-old boy. When they pulled him, his Little Giants co-star, yeah, Morgan, Sam Morgan, yeah. took over for him on Grace Under Fire. So that's too bad. Spro, it's on you to bring us back now. <laughs> uh, great CGI with the snap bubble. Cool. Thanks. I needed that. Throwing that out there. Was that CGI? Yes. I, was I did, it really? Yeah. Didn't even realize it till the most recent viewing. I was like, oh, I thought that was a real snot bubble as a kid. CGI. Really? Yeah. I mean, for 1994, that's decent, if, if I'm remembering it correctly. because, And I also wonder, like, why is that CGI? I feel like that would be pretty easy to do practically. Yeah, good on them. That The, the budget I saw was $20 million. I bet at least half of that went to that booger. Um, Have we talked about Devin Sawa yet? No, we'll get to Devin Sawa and um, the other kids, Spike. So for those of you who have not seen the movie, the ringer in this movie is, well, I guess there's two technically. Devin Sawa's character moves to town and he's this all-American handsome. I mean, he was Devin Sawa. He was in every movie in 1994. He's the all-star quarterback. They find him throwing rolls of toilet paper into shopping carts at the grocery store, perfect spiral, all that kind of stuff. And then, of course, he joins the team. But then the other ringer... Is this this just like like I don't even know what, how to describe him like this beastly Brock Lesnar kid who comes to town and he's just everything but on steroids but he becomes sort of like the second foil like the like the mini boss villain in the movie because he first is kind of duped into joining the little giants then he realizes what's going on and then he joins Ed O'Neill's cowboys. And from there, he's just like on a mission to destroy the rest of the little giants. And I remember as a kid seeing him and being like, remember the first time you saw Greece and you actually believed like all those 40 year olds were in high school. I remember seeing this and being like, there's no way that kid's my age. There's no way that kid is 17 or 18 and he's scary and he's terrifying and he's mean and I don't like him. I remember being intimidated by his presence on the screen. Looking back, he's nothing more than just like a meathead villain. But for some reason, the way they played him first on the same team as the Little Giants, but still just destroying them left and right, and then opposing the Little Giants and destroying them even worse, Spike was a force to be reckoned with. And it, it was so great to see Becky the Icebox just flatten him at the end. What a hit by Becky O'Shea! 
The ball is loose. Hayden covers it up tighter than the lid on a pickle jar. Yes! Yes. Spike was, like, it immediately clocked. I was like, that is not a child. That's right. a grown man. It's <laughs> a grown-ass like, man. <laughs> like, like, last night, uh, one part that really got to me was when he literally ran over, a like, one, uh, like the little cowboy kid, Timmy. Like, Timmy was running away from him. Spike could have just ran straight to the end oh, zone. Yeah. <laughs> Followed the kid and walked across him like a rug, and 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 Rick Moranis, rightly so, the concerned adult was like, "Hey, that's got to be a penalty." And the refs like, "No penalty. That was clean." Like, yeah, no, that's some bullshit. Although I don't know, who knows with the NFL now, but stomping a kid so that he makes a visible impression into the ground and then has to be peeled up, I think that's probably a penalty. That's a new level of just like villainy bad guy dumb you don't you want spike to get his in the end because he's just a bully so the cowboys they kind of i think left blank on they they let you see who they wanted you to see which was pretty much spike and they did that in such a way where like usually it would be like how ed o'neill and his buddy coach butts was <laughs> in the trees, right? they were like looking out over the field and moranis did the whole like oh my gosh they're looking at the little girls whatever. <laughs> Two great quotes just popped into mind when they're when Ed O'Neill and Coach Butts are watching and he's like, they've got the fullback in the backfield and they've got the the quarterback's not even there. And Ed O'Neill just goes, they're standing around, Butts. <laughs> but then you're right. He goes, when Rick Moranis pretends to be the old lady and I forget what he says, <laughs> he says, there's two old men in the bushes. Like he basically, he basically rats them out for being pedophiles Pedoph- in this <laughs> small town. And, and it even has the little kid go along with it. He's like, hell. Help, help in the background. And then the cops show up and arrest that O'Neill. Well, and the funny thing is, is not only like we're all in the educational field, like nowadays, all it takes is an accusation. Oh, yeah. Your reputation. He's front page news <laughs> after that. <laughs> yes. Let's not forget, too. I mean, he's Urbania's favorite son. He's It's got like the home of Kevin O'Shea on all the boards, signs coming in and out of town. Heisman Trophy winner. He's got the Corvette dealership in town. And now his own brother just, just ratted him out falsely for being a sexual predator. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> that is an epic takedown. To quote Training Day, that that shit is chess, not checkers. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like you have to if you get like a favorite character, and it's got to be Becky. Like you follow her pretty much the entire movie, and you know she's the best person on the field. She has one thing that is keeping her back, and that is something that she has no control over, and that's the fact that she's a girl. So you kind of go like, well, how are you going to? How are you going to get past this, Becky? And then when she gives up to become a cheerleader, you're kind of like, oh. God, God, like what message are we sending the kids? And she, you keep waiting for her to come back on the field, but no, she takes the field as a cheerleader. She's cheering during the first half. You're like, how the hell does this work itself out? And then it does. I remember even as a kid being like, no, no, this isn't right. Like watching it as an adult, you're obviously like, okay, there's going to be a greater moral here about being true to yourself and anybody can do anything and all that stuff. But even as a kid watching that, I was like, no, this, this, no, like Becky, you're awesome at football. Go play football. Even as a kid, I I, I remember thinking because her whole impetus for, for wanting to become a cheerleader was because she had a crush on Junior and Junior had a crush on one of the cheerleaders. So she thought that if she became a cheerleader, it would, you know, work in her favor. And like I said, 
even when as a little young MC, I was like, no, what are you doing? Like you're, you're, you're so good at the other thing. You need to be passionate about it. You need to do it. You need to help your team. What are you doing? Why are you a cheerleader? And it's not like she was a bad cheerleader. I mean, she was a perfectly fine cheerleader, but it wasn't true to her. And you could totally tell like in the movie, the scenes where she's in front of the mirror, like in front of the vanity, putting lipstick on and stuff like that. And Rick Moranis comes in and catches her. The awkwardness there wasn't so much played for like brick to forehead. Oh, this is what's going to happen when when the revelation eventually comes. You felt genuinely conflicted because earlier in the movie, I forget what happens if was it that their her mother had passed away or she had left no, or something like that. Her mother just up and left. They bring right. it up like twice. Mom just bolted. Right. So there's that there's so there's that 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 whole layer of Becky's character. She doesn't have a mom. She's been excelling at this thing her whole life that is predominantly male and quote unquote not what she's supposed to be doing. Your heart gets twisted for her in this movie. Well, absolutely. I mean you were talking about conflicted like Ed O'Neill's character on the face of it is very uh I, I, the word I used was formulaic. You know, he's the he's the old jock. Uh-huh. He his main outfit includes coaching shorts. But the thing that was conflicting and and kind of problematic was he has to address this not only as the best player on his competing team being coached by his little brother, but the best player is also his niece. And so when they sit down at that counter in that diner and they're having that genuine conversation, I don't know where he's coming from. I don't know if he's trying to be a good uncle and give good advice or trying to get the best player on the opponent's team to stop playing football. I was going back and forth and my wife and I were watching it and she's like, oh my God, he is a horrible person because she she immediately went to, he's just trying to get her to stop playing. This right. is genuine. But when he, when she was like, do you think I'm pretty? And he went, no, I think you're beautiful. Right. Like, I was like, oh, that, there it is. That's, that's my endearing moment. Look at that. You're right because he's, he's painted as this, in addition to being a peeping Tom, he's painted as this like do anything to win. So during that scene, when they're in the diner, he comes across in this way that like, you don't know which way he's going to turn. Like, is he going to be, is he being smarmy? Is he being the used car salesman right now? Is he being Kevin O'Shea Chevrolet or whatever it was? Or is he being Becky's uncle? Because he ultimately does discourage her from joining the team, right? Like he says, the kind of girls that boys like Junior want aren't teammates. Mm -hmm. You know, they want cheerleaders. But then he comes back around and he says, I don't think you're pretty. I think you're beautiful. So it's like, man, this guy, this is a total mind fuck. Like Ed O'Neill, like total mind fuck in the diner with those two old codgers in the back listening the whole time. (laughs) Those two old weird guys just like, like they both called the O'Shea brothers at the same time to say, Hey, we got a line on this new kid in town. He's on steroids and he can, he can lift a refrigerator. And they called each brother at the same time to see. And then they, then they sat out on their porch to watch them race down the street. I want to see the side quest movie of those guys. Like I want to see the follow up, the epilogue of those guys or even the prologue, like how they got to be in Urbane. The family dynamic is weird because, correct me if I'm wrong, the cheerleader that Junior falls 
I'm not in love with, but crushes on is Becky's cousin, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's all just like this weird family dynamic where Becky's struggling to find her identity. It really is like a along the lines of like the Karate Kid on a more like team based level, like the Mighty Ducks. You're talking about this character that you think you've painted, uh, you know, you you know pretty well in Kevin O'Shea, and you're talking about how like he he comes off as this win at all cost guy, but like even in the game, the moment that gets Becky off the sidelines and decides that she's like, I, that's it. I can't take this anymore is when Spike late hits junior in the back in the second half, the giants are moving the ball. The giants, I believe the giants have scored and uh, Spike's dad is like, take junior Floyd out of this game. And Spike plows him over. And Ed O'Neill comes over and says, if you or your kid pull something like that again, you're both out of here. Hammersmith. If that kid of yours pulls another stunt like that, you're both out of here. Hey, come on! I thought you wanted to win. Not like that. And the guy's like, oh, I I thought you wanted to win. He goes, not like that. It's a complete shift from Ed O'Neill at the beginning of the game. It says, you kick off the ball, we we ram it down your throat. We kick it off to you, we take it from you, we ram it down your throat. Let me tell you people something. This ain't just a football. This is your hopes, your dreams, your ambitions. Your soul in a roll. It's your life. Tomorrow on that field, it's do or die. Win or cry. He's a very complex character. Believe me, I did not think that we would be debating the complexities of Ed O'Neill's character in Little Giants at, at any point in my life, but even specifically <laughs> on this on this episode. And then to go on the opposite side, Rick Moranis, his character, his archetype is the exact opposite of Ed O'Neill's. He's not athletic, not necessarily a leader on the surface. Although once you get into the deeper story of him and Becky and how their mother left and how he's been raising her and how he's been, you know, sort of saddled with coaching this team like you realize that he's got all those qualities they just don't manifest themselves in like the outer shell that that ed o'neill's do yeah like he approaches it like in my song parody he is america's dad and (laughs) it's clear like my wife like five minutes into it she's like oh hell everybody should be playing that's what you do no one should be cut and having actually have i've coached high school sports football and baseball and have had to make cuts it's the worst feeling in the world every it goes against everything i'm about i want to be like you want to play you're gonna play everybody should be able to play and rick moranis he's the best dad he backs his daughter up when she hornswoggles him into this scheme and he's like yeah i'm forming a team and everyone's playing and it was just beautiful to watch like me i wasn't a super athletic kid i did like at least not traditionally i did martial arts and gymnastics and stuff but like it made you feel like watching that it made you feel like you could be part of a team like there was a team out there for you no matter what you could or couldn't do yes spro hit us you've been quiet (laughs) as i'm thinking about icebox and her transition i'm trying to think of like a movie where the male does the exact same thing where the male has like their eyes set on something in their life and then a woman comes in and they completely change their appearance they change how they approach their day and they give up the thing that they love the most in order to impress the girl and i can't think of like one movie that does that 
So I watched Little Giants two nights ago. Last night I watched the new Enola Holmes oh, yeah. on Netflix, which she does the same thing. She's going to go try and find like the disappearance of her mother. And then this boy jumps out of a suitcase and she's like, well, nope, I'm going to put my mother aside and try and help out this boy. <laughs> it's 26 years later and like the girl roles are still doing this like, oh, there's a boy. I'm super interested. Let me change this whole story to wrap around the boy. And I can't think of a, I can't think of a boy movie. So specifically, I can't either, but I just watched Wreck-It Ralph 2 recently and brilliant. And there's a scene where I can't think of her name. The Sarah Silverman character, Vanellope, ends up, they they go into the internet and she ends up falling into this like slumber party with all the Disney princesses. All it is, like from start to finish, it's hilarious. It's just this complete emasculation of the male hero trope. they're, They're trying to figure out if she's a princess and they're talking to her like, has some man come in and swooped in at the end of the day to save you from the clutches of an evil king or something like that and they just roll their eyes over and over at all this stuff and then at the end of the movie they end up being the ones who sort of come in to do all the things that are usually stereotypically done by those male characters i don't know that that the movie necessarily was just about let's just have fun who cares who wins because you'll remember that great i think it was a halftime speech where danny o'shea brought up was riding bikes down down like suicide hill or whatever it was called when when we were kids we used to race our bikes down cherry hill every day after school we'd race every day and he'd always beat me but one time one time i beat him you beat kevin down cherry hill yes i did he ate my dust big deal one time you know one time at randy cooper's swim party i did a backflip off the high dive and my brother chickened out roger chickened out He's a Marine. Aw, oh, that's nothing. One time in Spring Carnival, I beat both my brothers in the cow dunk toss. You beat Matt and Brad in the turd toss? You know, one time I went fishing with my entire family, and I was the only one that didn't throw up. Whoa. So what? That still doesn't make us good football players. Yeah. Wait a second, guys. Whoever said you had to be good to play football? You play football because you want to. You play football because it's fun. You play football so you can go out there and pretend that you're Joe Montana throwing a touchdown pass, or Emmett Smith going for a long run. And even if those Cowboys are better than you guys, even if they beat you 99 times out of 100, that still leaves. One time. One time. Yeah. One time. I always used to get beat by Kevin. I always used to get beat by Kevin, but there was one time. And then he goes on to tell the kids that there was one time that he beat his brother. And the kids are all like, no way, you beat Kevin? And then they all come up with stories of their own where like, that's a brilliant speech. If you modified a few words in that speech to make it a little less obvious that it was from a kid's movie, like that's a brilliant sentiment. It only takes one time to erase history. I mean, Wesley Snipes summed it up in one sentence in White Men Can't Jump. Even the sun shines on the dog's ass some days. I mean, I would have loved to hear that crossover. You know, if Wesley Snipes showed up during halftime. Bro, Wesley Snipes as a, like a little league coach. Man. That's a movie. I mean. That's a movie right what, there. What about, what, about, what about this? Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson as two inner city little league basketball coaches. Write it. Sell it. I mean. Hey, agent on the phones, bro. Was it Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson in the Goldie Hawn football underdog comedy Wildcats in the 80s? Were they? Beyond me. 
it's a it's a movie about Goldie Hawn who becomes an inner city high school football coach, and I believe Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson are both on the team. I can't yeah. imagine Wesley Snipes ever being believable as a high school student. I don't know why, but I've always seen Wesley Snipes as a grown up. But like that speech, it reminds me of um, in D three, The Mighty Ducks, like which most people argue is the worst of the franchise, which I disagree with. The new coach, the coach who takes over at the prep school, he gives a, a speech too about confidence and like what it means to be confident. Like it means that you know you're still good even when you're not winning, even when everything's not going your way, you still believe in yourself. Listen, if you learn nothing else when you're here, you learn this. All right? Because it's not just about hockey. It's easy to be confident when you have control of the puck. It's very, very difficult to keep that confidence when you got to take whatever strange bounces life throws your way. Don't be careless, but don't be too careful either. You cannot be afraid to lose. That's how you gain the confidence to attack the game when the puck isn't yours. That's how you attack life. Even when you think you don't have any control. And those two speeches, those are two speeches that that I feel like I've referenced in my adult life more than once on in whether I'm trying to motivate like a kid, a student or something like that, or even just like looking at them as good writing. Like, I feel like that that halftime speech shows that the the little Giants team does want to win and they do care about winning, but they realize at that moment that they'll be okay if they don't. And that's kind of what gives them the courage to to go out and eventually win. Also, the annexation of Puerto Rico, which <laughs> which I learned as I was doing a little research was actually run as a real play, a game between the Carolina Panthers and the Houston Texans, 2011, December 18th, 2011. They ran the annexation of Puerto Rico play. Another game referencing Little Giants, and I remember watching this game in 2010, Michigan State and Notre Dame. Michigan State ran a fake field goal touchdown in overtime, which was a beautiful play. And... um Later, the head coach revealed that the name of the play was Little Giants. So they called Little Giants, and that was the trick play. To me, that's a testament to how awesome the movie is anyway. Yeah, so. absolutely. And to get back, just to, just to go back to how, what we started in the beginning, the Giants come out throwing caution to the wind because they know that all it takes is one time. But this is the part where Becky the Icebox O'Shea cements her legacy as a fictional sports icon. She sees this happen to Junior Floyd. She can't take it no more. She's going to say, as my wife said, quote unquote, multiple times during this movie, fuck the patriarchy. She's going to go out there <laughs> and she's she going. Does. She, she yeah, really does. Yeah. She's the knight in shining armor. She, she becomes the quarterback. So she rallies the team around her. The fact that it's a girl who at the time was our age and is in this moment of, like you said, fuck the patriarchy. That's a very unique movie for that time, I feel like. That's a powerful scene. That's a powerful climax to that movie. Yes. And her team knows it. Like when they realize that she's going to be cheerleading and not playing, they're like, we're screwed. The game's over. We're going to die. I'm going and- to New Mexico. I'm leaving <laughs> the country. She she propels them. She gives them the 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 motivation, the strength, and the courage to take it all the way to the end. And I didn't even realize. It dawned on me like last uh, last night watching it. I was like, she encourages them in the huddle too. She's she's the all around knight in shining armor. It's funny because she puts on the outfit, you know, the trappings of a cheerleader, but 
she really doesn't become the cheerleader until she gets with her team and leads them to victory. She becomes the cheerleader within the huddle that they need in order to in order to make it to the end. That's that's what we need. Like that's what young I'm not I'm speaking obviously as a man, but young girls need to see that representation and they got that in 1994 and I feel like it just went over everybody's head. Well, clearly it did. I mean, Spro, you're you're the the numbers and the reviews guy. Tell us a little bit about how Little Giants performed. It did not perform very well. But I mean, back in the day, it's hard to find because it's 94. And so most of the, the leads are dead. So you look at it, right? And most of the, like, you're looking at reviews from Fred from About.com and Bob from Journal and Courier and Scott from eFilm Critic and Brant from Austin Chronicle and Philip from Arkansas. Like, all these are guys, right? And they're saying, like, unoriginal kids, sports movie, been there, done that. This is no Mighty Ducks, a weak, bad news. Bear style ripoff, totally unoriginal. So that's what they're saying. But you dig in a little deeper on the leads, right? And then you go into imdb.com and the number one review, and I'm just going to read it from Lady Jenna. So we're already on a good path here. It says, great movie for girls. I love this movie the first time I saw it in third grade, and I still love it. I'm not a big fan of sports-based movies, but this movie I adore. Despite being a movie about football, it's a great movie for girls. Icebox kicks butt on the field, but still has to deal with crushes. Not to mention, it's great how she's discriminated against at first for being a girl, but then comes out on top as the best player in the entire movie, beating every guy who didn't think she could do it. The O'Shea brothers get some good banter going, but mostly it's about Icebox. It's a great movie. I love it to death. Oh, that's awesome. I think I almost say it every episode. Critics see movie after movie and they have to see every movie. So even like an adult, a stodgy adult who has like no inner child, like they suffocated their inner child with a pillow when they were 23 years old in college, they still have to see animated films and they're still like the ones that are like reviewing them where there should be a disclaimer saying, I don't like animated films. So don't, you know, follow my lead on Wreck-It Ralph. And a lot of the guys going to see this movie were expecting to see a movie like Mighty Ducks, like an all-male football movie, The Replacements, Unnecessary Roughness, you know, like they're thinking they're going to go see like something that they could chuckle to. And it becomes this like girl empowerment movie surrounded with all the usual fare that you usually get, but it's centered around Becky Icebox O'Shea. And it's, man, it's, this wasn't made for those male critics. This was made for, like Rudy said, the women, the girls that need to look up to a sports figure and just do it regardless of how many boys get in their way. My work here is done. Hearing just the blurbs you gave of the reviews back in 94 angered me. It, like I was like, man, I just want to go punch those guys in the face. Like that's just, you know, the 90s were a strange time. It's so yeah. funny. Michelle was like, she at first she wasn't really, I mean, she obviously loves Becky the Icebox O'Shea, but she was like... I don't feel like she's that good of a football player. If she was a good football player, she would be quarterback because, you know, throughout the whole movie, she's not the quarterback. She's like a fullback. And and I completely forgot that she quarterbacks the team to victory. But sometimes the best player, I mean, the best player on the Browns right now is the running back. Yep. Like we're not getting anywhere without a running back. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Like I, I Michelle and I had a pretty long conversations about this at the end, you know, at the end of the movie, we were like, you know, competition 
can be good. She's like, I just think it's all just horrible. It's, it, it fosters toxic masculinity. I was like, no, competition can be good. Competition can be healthy when taken care of, when when proper stewardship takes over, like Rick Moranis's character, who is a, a rational, responsible, reasonable adult that can foster healthy competition, whereas, you know, Kevin O'Shea, Ed O'Neill's character can kind of make it toxic. The, the one thing that I found slightly problematic for Becky O'Shea at the end was that her dad made out with Junior's mom. So, oh yeah, <laughs> um, that's right. It, I mean, fan fiction. You know, Danny O'Shea marries Junior's mom. Junior is now Becky's stepbrother, and this hmm. is going to get weird for her. So, yeah, that deflated me a little bit because you're absolutely right. I forgot thread of the romance between both Becky and Junior, and then Junior's mom and, and Rick Moranis. So, anything else we want to? Anything else we want to dissect about Little Giants? Anything else we want to unpack? from this huddle i mean <laughs> devin sawa let's talk about devin sawa then spro what, what do you have to say about devin sawa what do you have to say about stan i don't have much <laughs> <laughs> all right i will say i want to revisit him again in the film idle hands uh-huh. i want that to be a cinema. another great one um, and my wife says he did not age well she had a huge crush on him during little giants and casper and she's like yeah he he did not age well. Wait a minute. Who was he in Cat? He was in Casper? Yeah, he played Casper at yeah, the he end. He was Casper. He was the boy. Wasn't Cat? Wait. There's so many girls I know that like love the movie Casper because they have a crush on Devin Sawa at the end when Casper becomes a human. Yeah. Wait, Casper becomes a human at the end? Oh my gosh, go back and Spoiler watch Casper. <laughs> That's bullshit. Well, he is I mean, his name what? Wait, is his name still Casper? Yes. <laughs> That, what, that's, Why would his name not be Casper? You don't get a ghost name. I, the <laughs> only other Casper I know is Van Dien, and he's got a tattoo of Casper the Friendly Ghost on his arm. So I think we know which one came first. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I, I don't think I know any other kids named Casper. I, I guess I always assumed like Casper was a like like an acronym, like Alf or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Casper was a cartoon ghost. I never assumed that he like his resolution would be to come back to life. Like, what is that? Well, well, when you introduced he didn't come back to life well, well he did yeah he he like he was granted okay spoiler alert listener out there he was <laughs> granted a wish from christina ricci's ghost mother to be a boy so he could dance with christina ricci uh, at, at at the party so christina ricci's dead mother pimped out casper to her for a dance at a party and then what he died again well he went back to ghost form he didn't he was never we, we call that dying rudy <laughs> he was never alive uh, this movie sounds sounds terrible and i you're I, gonna watch I, it you know what i might watch it and you know what i might be wrong and it might be the next episode of second chance cinema <laughs> that said i think that that little giants is a movie that we can as adults we can appreciate it in a different way than we did as kids and i think that's the mark of a good movie like, I think that a lot of the things that these movies do have in common, at least the ones that we talk about that we saw when we were younger, is that they can be appreciated on multiple levels as 
kids, we saw this movie. It was a fun sports movie. It psyched us up. It was an underdog story. There were fart jokes, etc., etc. Now we see it kind of as a heroic tale of essentially, what did you say, Rudy? Fuck the patriarchy? Uh, fuck the patriarchy. <laughs> we see it in that light, which, you know, at, at this point in time has never been more appropriate. Again, the purpose of this podcast is to get people to familiarize themselves with movies that might have gone under the radar. And this is thanks to Becky the Icebox. This is definitely one that is appropriate more so now than ever, I think. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. And then I think that's going to be our last play of the game, fellas. Would like to thank Rudy for joining us and for dropping that uh, fantastic song parody of Here Comes the Hot Stepper. We'd like to thank you guys for listening. At the end, you can find out how to get us on social media. Let us know what you thought of the show. Let us know what other movies you'd like to hear us talk about. Do us a favor. Make sure you download the episode. Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of Second Chance Cinema. We will see you next time. Peace. Little Giants was produced by Amblin Entertainment. It was distributed by Warner Brothers. Second Chance Cinema is a fan of the film and urges you to check it out. Closing credits music is from the film's soundtrack, Little Giants on Fire by John Debney. Thank you for listening to this episode of Second Chance Cinema. If you have any comments, questions, corrections, or would like to recommend a movie for a future show, you can reach us at 2ndchancecinema at gmail.com. We have a Second Chance Cinema Facebook group. You can find us on Twitter at MCNSpro or check us out on Instagram at 2ndchancecinema. To help our little show out, please tell your friends about us. Leave a review wherever you listen. And be sure to subscribe and download each episode you listen to as those simple steps makes us much more visible in the universe, which makes these fine secret cinematic masterpieces more visible. And isn't that really the whole point? Now go on and have a beautiful day, you wonderful person you. And if you're faced with insurmountable odds, remember, even little giants inspired big teams. This is going to be a 46-yard field goal attempt to try to send it to a second overtime. Conroy, it's a fake. Bates is going to throw. He's going to Touchdown! Michigan State wins it in overtime! Two smiles say it all. One's a happy smile and one's a, are you kidding me? You called that. Wow. Aaron Bates to Charlie Gant. I know we're only three weeks into the season, but if you see any more guts than that the rest of the year, give me a call. Wow. Let's go down to Holly. You just have a big grin on your face right now. We said, hey, let's go. By the way, the name of that play is Little Giants. Little Giants, indeed. What did Coach Kelly say? He just complimented you on the call. Yeah, he said gutsy call. But we've executed all week long, so it's the right time, obviously. Coach, thank Have you. Have a great night, guys. It'll be a pretty good night for Mark D'Antonio.
Little Giants, wow. this is a giant of a play. Here's Charlie Gant. He's going to get hung up in here and then release. The holder, Aaron Bates, is a senior. He was a former high school quarterback at John Glenn High School in Ohio. And he throws a perfect throw to a wide-open receiver. When a guy's that open, don't try to lead him. Throw <laughs> it right at him. What a way to end this ball game. Little Giants, big results. Wow. Enjoy your day.